American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. If you like American Catholic history, join us on our new community on locals.com. We'll be sharing more information about our topics, insights into how we do what we do, and what else is going on in our lives, and more. We'll link to our locals page from our website, AmericanCatholicHistory.org. And while you're there, help us keep this going by dropping a tip in our tip jar. Also, please give us a five-star rating and a great review wherever you get your podcasts. And let others know about us. Your support helps us keep this podcast going. But enough housekeeping. Today we're talking about one of the most remarkable men in American Catholic history, Venerable Frederick Baraga. You know, I feel like we say one of the most remarkable on these episodes a whole lot. We do, but there's good reason. The church in this country took root and grew so quickly because of the sheer number of remarkable men and women who came over as missionaries and founders. Bishop Baraga, whom no one almost no one knows about, is definitely among them. And another one of those is our favorites, one of our favorites, Father Samuel Mazzucchelli. Mazzucchelli was a Dominican who had come over from Italy and was the first major missionary in the extreme north of Michigan. And then his work mostly happened in present-day Wisconsin. We talked about Father Mazzucchelli in an earlier episode, which we'll probably redo, but his story was, as we say, remarkable. <laughs> the other reason Father Mazzucchelli enters into this episode was that he and Father Baraga were each each other's confessors and spiritual counselors. They were the two main missionaries in a huge territory and relied on each other a great deal. Nowadays, they're both listed among the venerable by the Catholic Church. But back to Baraga, because we've got a lot to get through in this episode. He was the first bishop of what is now the Diocese of Marquette in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. As a missionary priest and later bishop, he was an absolutely tireless shepherd of souls. Right. Even as bishop, he would walk hundreds of miles in snowshoes if he found out that a person was dying and needed the sacrament. <laughs> On one such trek, one of his snowshoes actually failed. And it, this is the dead of winter, and he was stuck in the middle of nowhere. Only a pure chance meeting with another traveler who just happened to be traveling that same barren path at the same time kept him from freezing to death. But the possibility of his own death didn't deter him from going out and doing the, his duty and loving his flock. And that's just a continuation of what he'd done in his 22 years of missionary work before he was consecrated a bishop in 1853. Right. Nowadays, he's known as the Snowshoe Priest, and the monument to him in Lance, Michigan, depicts him holding a cross in his right hand and a pair of snowshoes in his left. Over his 36 years of ministry in northern Michigan and Wisconsin, he converted and baptized thousands of natives, established multiple missions, built churches and schools, and faced down many who were opposed to his mission. <laughs> but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Before he did any of that... He was born and raised over in Europe. Yes. He was born in 1797 in Dobrenica, a city in the Austrian Empire. He is considered Slovenian by heritage, and his birthplace is in modern-day Slovenia. He was the fourth of five children, and he was baptized Irenaeus Frederick, though he never went by his first name. 
His father was well-to-do, but not wealthy, and his mother, however, she came from a noble family, and she came into a vast inheritance when her father died. But both of Frederick's parents were dead by the time he was 15. Frederick was a good student and very pious. He went to live with his godfather, George Dolinar, a professor of church history and canon law at the seminary in Ljubljana, and by the time he was 16, he was fluent in six languages. When he was 19, he went to study law in Vienna. While there, he came under the influence of the Redemptorist priest, Father Clement Mary Hofbauer. Hofbauer was a very holy man, and he was actually canonized in 1909. Right, and when the cause for his canonization opened in the 1850s, Frederick Baraga, who was a bishop by this time, supplied testimony to support his cause. So it's fitting that Hofbauer's influence helped Baraga decide to pursue the priesthood after completing his law degree. For seminary, Baraga returned to Ljubljana and was ordained a priest at 26 years old in 1823. Baraga was a fantastic parish priest and was much loved. Many came from far around to hear him preach and take his counsel in the confessional. But many of his fellow priests weren't thrilled with him. At least some of them resented his popularity, others his piety and humility. So he was moved to another parish further away from the population centers. But the people still traveled to see him. In 1829, a big thing happened. The Austrian emperor, Franz I, established the Leopoldine Society for the purpose of helping finance German-speaking missionaries to North America. We've mentioned the Leopoldine Society a few times. It figures largely in the story of St. John Newman. We talked about Newman just a few weeks ago in episode 129. And in fact, it was Baraga's letters back to the Leopoldine Society that helped inspire Newman to become a missionary in North America. Right, a great example of how God's work. The saints pass always seem to be crisscrossing each other and helping each other out. Yeah, they call out to each other. And honestly, his letters back to Europe are a great benefit to all of us. I only had a chance to read a few of them to prepare for this episode. But they really are beautiful. His absolute joy at being an instrument of God's grace just bursts forth. He has such a love for the savages, as he refers to the natives, and he cares for them so tenderly. But when Father Baraga first heard about the Leopoldine Society, it was an entirely new thing. There were not yet any letters back from missionaries to inspire him. No, the only thing he knew was that Father John Rees, Vicar General of the Diocese of Cincinnati, was himself an immigrant from the Germanic nation-states, and he had worked with the Emperor to establish this society. And he, Baraga, suddenly felt a tremendous tug to be a missionary in the Diocese of Cincinnati. At this time, the Diocese of Cincinnati covered all of the Old Northwest Territories of the United States, which at that time included the states of Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, plus the still not states but territory that would become Michigan and Wisconsin. There are many cities in this territory, particularly in Ohio, but much of the land covered by the diocese was settled by immigrant farmers or was still Indian territory. And therefore predominantly unevangelized. And it was to these people that Father Baraga most desired to go. Yes, he was utterly inspired by the opportunity to bring the gospel to people who had never heard it and to baptize those who otherwise had no opportunity. So he wrote to all relevant parties, those with the society, the Bishop of Cincinnati, who was Edward Fenwick. And we talked about him a bit in episode 94 when we talked about the Dominicans coming to the United States. Right. And, and Baraga also wrote to his own bishop there in Ljubljana. And in the most beautiful and inspiring language, he wrote of his deep desire to be a missionary in America. He touted his fluency in six languages, including German and English, and of his ability to learn new languages. This last would come in really handy because the people he was going to work with spoke a number of different 
different languages, primarily Chippewa and Ottawa and dialects of those languages. In fact, during his time, he would even publish a dictionary and grammar book of Chippewa, and he included prayers in Chippewa, and he published an entire other prayer book in Chippewa. He had these published first in Detroit, and then later again on one of his trips back to Europe, and they both became very widely used for a long time among missionaries and others who went to work with the natives of the upper Midwest. But first, he had to get over to America. Right. So he was finally accepted. All appropriate documents were exchanged with the Leopoldine Society, his own bishop, and with the Bishop of Cincinnati, and he departed for Le Havre to board a ship and cross the Atlantic. The crossing took about five weeks, and he arrived in New York on December 31st, 1830. By January 18th, 1831, he was in Cincinnati and was officially received by Bishop Fenwick. Almost immediately, he expressed to Bishop Fenwick his heart's desire to be a missionary to the natives in the far north part of the diocese, and Fenwick was only too pleased. Not many volunteered for that solitary and difficult duty. The land up there is absolutely beautiful, and the people were, by and large, very receptive to the gospel, but the long winters are severe and incredibly harsh. Yeah, his native part of Europe has no concept of a winter as harsh as what they get on the upper peninsula of Michigan. No, winters in Slovenia and Vienna, you know, it gets down to about freezing and they'll get some snow, but sustained periods of single-digit temperatures with many inches of snow that stick around for weeks, that just isn't a thing over there. Yeah, but from a young age, he wasn't concerned about any of that. He was eager for the opportunity to save souls. He trusted that God would take care of the hardships or that he would die in the process. And if he died, well, then that was how God elected to take care of it. So Bishop Fenwick guaranteed him that he would get the chance at that very spring. Father Baraga was ecstatic. And fortunately, there was a man of the Ottawa tribe studying at the seminary in Cincinnati. Baraga began taking regular lessons in the Ottawa language from him while also helping with the sizable German-speaking Catholic population in and around Cincinnati. Three months later, on April 21st, Father Baraga set out from Cincinnati for northern Michigan. His destination was the village of Arbor Croche. Now, if you know the geography of Michigan's Lower Peninsula, and you know how to use your right hand as a guide, Arbor Croche is kind of at the tip of your ring finger. It's on the north coast of Little Traverse Bay. On the way to Arbor Croche, Father Baraga and Bishop Fenwick, who came along to formally install him in Arbor Croche, stopped in Detroit. At Detroit, they met with another of the greats of this era of the American church, Father Gabriel Richard. We told Richard's story in episode 64. The very next year, 1832, Father Richard died during an outbreak of cholera. It just happened that Father Barago was in Detroit to get his Chippewa Dictionary published at that time. Since he was there, he was asked to give the eulogy during the funeral mass. One saintly man giving tribute to another. Again, that seems to be a theme. Seriously. Baraga, Richard, Matsukeli, Fenwick. It's just an amazing group. All we need to do now is find out that Father Baraga also became good friends with Fathers Lamy and Machabouf while they were still missionaries in Ohio in the 1840s. Possibly, but possibly not. Yeah, probably not. Father Baraga arrived in Arbor Croche in May of 1831. He wasn't the first missionary priest of Cincinnati to go through those parts, but he was the first to make it his somewhat permanent home, and he was by far the most effective. Also, about 150 years before any missionaries had come up from Cincinnati, French Jesuit missionaries had come from Quebec. Father Jacques Marquette and others had been through the region and had shared the gospel with many. But the French Jesuits didn't stick around. 
So while the memory of the gospel could still be found in pockets all along the shores of Lake Michigan and Superior, and the legend of the black robes had been passed down favorably, no priests had been through in many decades, and the vast majority had never heard the gospel at all. So a great number of the natives were hungry for the gospel. So with that as fertile mission field, Father Baraga immediately set to work. He went out daily. Within two and a half months, he had 72 conversions. By the end of 1831, nearly every member of the community in and around Arbacroche was either baptized or under instruction. During the winter of 1831 to 1832, he spent a significant amount of time compiling the Chippewa Dictionary and Grammar that we mentioned before. The following spring, as soon as the weather permitted, he traveled beyond the area immediately around Arbacroche, seeking new fields of missionary activity, and he found them. He visited villages on islands in Lake Michigan, and one way on the other side of the lake over in what is now Wisconsin. At one village, the people had anticipated his visit and were so eager to greet him that they began constructing a small log and birch bark church. He arrived before it was completed and, with his companions, helped them finish it that very day. The next day, he blessed the little chapel and offered mass in it. About this experience, in one of his letters back to the Leopoldine Society, he wrote, With what deep emotion and gratitude to God I performed these ecclesiastical ceremonies I cannot describe. The thought that in this forlorn place, in the midst of a primeval forest, where but lately only the cry of the savage was heard, and idolatrous sacrifices offered to the wicked spirit, there now stands a temple of the living God, in which the Immaculate Lamb of God is offered to the Heavenly Father. This thought affected me so strongly that I shed tears of deepest emotion, and could not find words to express my thanks to God. Happy are we that he needs not the expression of words, for he sees our hearts. This little church is built of logs and bark and lacks everything that might please the eye and artistic taste, yet it appears to me to be a much more precious temple than so many churches in Europe, richly decorated with gold and works of art, but desecrated by the lukewarmness and misbehavior of those who visit them. A few paragraphs later in that same letter, he wrote that a few days later, the people brought all their pagan idols and the items used in their pagan rituals and sacrifices, and he burned them all. It just, what, man, what an experience. <laughs> But he had negative experiences also. When Braga moved his base of operations from Arbor Croce to Grand Rapids in 1835, the Protestant missionary and the small handful of natives whom he had converted aggressively resisted him setting up a Catholic mission. But the majority of natives desired a Catholic mission, so Braga won out. In a very little time, he had converted the vast majority of the village, most who had resisted the Protestant preacher, and even a few who had been baptized by him. French fur traders presented another problem. Most of them were irreligious and had no problem plying the natives with alcohol and cheap trinkets to cheat them out of their valuable furs. Baraga educated the natives to these schemes, convinced many natives to take the temperance pledges, and so undercut this underhanded scheme. And the third major problem was when the U.S. government tried to force the natives off their land. Baraga had seen this coming, and with his legal training, remember he had gone to law school before seminary, he set up the natives to be owners of their land in the eyes of the law, not just as a matter of tradition. The natives refused to sell, or at least to sell cheap and so retained their land. In all of these ways, plus in how utterly selfless he was in doing whatever needed to be done to bring the sacraments to the people, he became absolutely beloved of the natives. 
For time's sake, we'll just say that this rundown of his experiences, the good and the difficult, more or less repeated multiple times as he traveled around. Yeah, this man deeply loved his spiritual children and did anything for them. There are so many stories like these that we could be here for hours if we tried to tell them all. He truly was the good shepherd who would leave the 99 in search of the one. His practice became, after he converted pretty much everybody in the local area, he would move on to a new base of operations. This took him first to Grand Rapids, and then after that to La Pointe, a former French outpost on an island in western Lake Superior that's now part of Wisconsin. He was there for a time, and then he moved his focus to the north coast of the Upper Peninsula, including Lance, at the base of the Coena Peninsula. This, Lance, was his favorite mission base. During this time, the explosion of the copper mining industry caused the native European population to swell so much that the city of Houghton on the Upper Peninsula was briefly in consideration to be the capital city of the new state of Michigan. In 1853, the northern part of Michigan was made a vicariate apostolic and was separated off from the Diocese of Detroit, which itself had been separated from Cincinnati in 1833. Baraga was named Vicar Apostolic and was consecrated a bishop in Cincinnati by the successor of Bishop Fenwick, Archbishop John Baptiste Purcell, another great figure of the era who will definitely get his own episode. Oh, yeah. In 1857, Upper Michigan was made the Diocese of Sault Ste. Marie and Bishop Baraga the first bishop of the diocese. In 1865, Bishop Baraga moved the see to Marquette, which was more centrally located, and was near to the population centers around the copper mines. During his priesthood and his episcopacy, he wrote many letters to the Leopoldine Society and to the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith, and both bodies shared his letters widely in Europe as examples of the good things happening in North America, and also as a way to inspire new missionaries and to raise funds for the mission. He also made two trips to Europe as bishop to raise funds and recruit priests for his diocese. On one trip, he was presented a beautiful crucifix and ring by Emperor Franz Joseph I of Austria. He later sold both to raise money for the diocese. Bishop Baraga slowed a bit as he aged, but he never stopped going out, visiting his parishes, ministering to his flock, and heading out on foot, even in his snowshoes in the dead of winter, to attend to someone desperately ill and in need of the sacraments. In October 1866, age 69, he traveled to the Second Plenary Council of Baltimore. While there, he suffered one and maybe two strokes. His brother bishops tried to convince him to remain in Baltimore, fearing his health wouldn't survive the trip back to the harsh north. But he pleaded with his priest assistant to take him back to Marquette. The priest acquiesced, and Bishop Baraga survived the arduous journey. But there again, what did he care if he died along the way? He'd risked death so many times before for the better interests of his flock, so as far as he was concerned, if he was going to die soon, he'd rather it be on the way back to his flock or among them if he survived the trip. And he did survive the journey home. He lived for another 14 months, ministering to his flock as best he could until his death on January 19, 1868 in Marquette. He was buried in the crypt of his cathedral of St. Peter. Devotion to him began almost immediately. His cause for canonization wasn't opened until 1952, and then it took another 60 years before he was declared venerable by Pope Benedict XVI in 2012. The cause is now just awaiting the requisite two approved miracles to see him elevated to blessed and then to saint. But really, as far as anyone who has learned about his life is concerned, that's just a matter of when, not if. One of these days, Bishop Frederick Baraga, as well as his good friend and spiritual confidant, Father Samuel Masakelli, will both be known as Saint. 
This has been American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by the StarQuest Production Network. If you enjoy American Catholic History, join our community on Locals.com or go to AmericanCatholicHistory.org where you can drop a donation in our tip jar, sign up for our newsletter, learn about Bishop Baraga, see our upcoming pilgrimages, and find other episodes about the people, places, and events that built the church in the U.S. Also, be sure to check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit Beatrix BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. We love getting your feedback and suggestions for episodes. You can email us at feedback at AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AmericanCatholicHistory. On Instagram at ACH underscore podcast. Or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest.